There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> but it's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. Day all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds. You're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. I heard a little bit there. My name is Derek Peterson. Sitting across from me this week is Greg Smith. We are in a room that is um, quickly becoming a utility closet and it's making me mad because it's supposed to be my podcast room. Dude, I didn't realize we were just going to you know, start off with the shade. There's like a giant, I don't even know what this kind of cable is. Like this, how what long would you that? say this thing is? This thing is at least 10 feet long. Yeah, it's at least 10 feet long. And it's like an ethernet cable or like a, some some kind of, I don't know what it is. I was not expecting to rant about it, but we ranted about it. That happened. There's a lot of ranting going on this week. <laughs> there definitely is. Were you among the group of people following the collapse at Colorado that was calling for change or saying that like this is the same? Like there, like uh, as we were flying back from Boulder, a lot of the conversations in the airport from Nebraska fans was just like apathy. Like there was a lot of just like oh it's it's Nebraska I'm used to it, it this this is just what it's gonna be like like. Have you have you gotten the sense from people this week that 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 is a feeling? Like, do you think that it's crazy? Do you think that it's uh, completely like off base? Like, we're fourteen games into Scott Frost's tenure, people. I think that I I do. Get, first of all, I do get that sense. Yes, I do get the sense that people are a little. The apathy is there. At least it's creeping around the corner. Um, and I think that it's because even though you said, like you said, and it's true that there were 14 games in the Scott Frost era, I think people were just ready for excitement again and ready for wins uh, with, with also skipping the process that it might take to get there. And I think that it was reasonable and it's still reasonable to expect that the team will be fairly successful this year. I just think that People aren't ready for the reality of building the program back up. I mean... And it's because there's been such poor play in recent memory that I think that people are just ready for it to be great. Part of it was Colorado, I think. And there's and that, being, yes. and, and not wanting to lose to Colorado two years in a row. I think that played a part. I, I understand some of it. Nebraska was up 17 nothing, yeah. And they didn't close the door. And I keep hearing all these people talk about, like, when was the last time Nebraska just shut out an opponent? When was the last time Nebraska put, like, their foot on an opponent's throat and just kept it there? Like, it hasn't been – it's been a long time since something like that has happened. So I get it uh, to some extent. But, you know, before the season – like, before we got too deep into the offseason and my – my win total went from I was at eight, and I bumped it up to nine at some point through the off season. But when I was at eight, I, I privately to myself I said Colorado was one of the four losses. Yeah. So it's not like and Moberry 
talked about this in a very Mowberry way that was later slandered after the fact, but it's not like this loss is changing their season. It's not like this loss impacts their ability to win the Big Ten. It does not. Like, I, I didn't think they – I wanted them to play for a Rose Bowl, but I didn't think it was realistic. So it's not like losing to Colorado suddenly takes you away from going to, like, the Holiday Bowl or something like that. Like, Right? You are correct. They all like I hate this phrase, and I'm going to have to use it because it's the best way to describe it. All of their goals are still out in front of them, um, but that's true. I mean, they they all are, and I, I just think that I, I will be curious to see, and I hope that this is the case for the team that they take Mo Berry's attitude on that and that belief that he has that they're going to Indianapolis and they're going to bounce back and they're going to still play for the Big Ten championship, um, because I, I feel like. A loss like this in previous years had the potential to completely derail Nebraska for at least the next game after that, right? And there's some precedent to this where two years ago they lost that game to Oregon and then came out and lost to Northern Illinois at home, and which then sparked kind of the big changes in the program, right? Um, it was a dark day. Oh, God. For the for the program oh, when that God. happened, did you just realize that that, oh, that was God. that game? No, no. I'm thinking about they played Arkansas State in the opener and it didn't look great, but they got a win. And then they played a Pac-12 team the uh, next week on the road and they lost. Yeah, with a lot with. And then they know, played 20, Northern Illinois. Fans oh no! <laughs> yeah, and then they played Northern Illinois, and then they, I can't believe that you hadn't put all that oh, together yet. No. Um. So yeah. So there is like I think that. That's around. There's that's looming around. Um, but we'll find out again. And I remember tweeting this out. Is the, Arkansas State in the Sun Belt? I keep derailing I your conversation. Think so. I think so. I think oh, so. Oh no! Like I, I tweeted this out during the game when Colorado started making their comeback. Is we're going to find out about um, the progress or lack thereof that this team has made. And we found out that they hadn't made as much progress as people had hoped. But we're going to find out again this weekend about the progress that they've made, just in terms of. Them, their mentality and being able to turn the page on that game and if they can come out and beat Northern Illinois, which should not be some game that's in question, but it is because that's the reality of where Nebraska is. And we've now introduced kind of, you know, this bad scenario that happened two years ago. Arkansas State is, in fact, in the Sunbelt Conference. Is South Alabama also in the Sunbelt? Yes, they are. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, that's no. amazing. This is... Uh... That's amazing. This makes me feel bad. This makes I, me feel not good. I wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> makes me feel not good. I, but it's a okay. But can I make try to make you feel better? It's Scott Frost and his staff versus Mike Riley and his staff. Does that help? Yeah. I mean, it has not. Yeah. In fairness, there's not. Twitter been tells a great... me that Scott Frost is a terrible play caller, though. Twitter does say that, and I, I think that Twitter is too quick to bail on things in general, which okay, so, is not surprising, but I... So I, I want to get into this conversation, because I think this conversation has a little bit of merit to it, and you and I talked about this off, off mic a little bit. They are... You have said he doesn't look comfortable play-calling. I think he's between a rock and a hard place right now. And, and and I want to get into Wandale getting him the ball more, um, and this yeah. is this is probably like the avenue into that um, because th- there seems a mandate for Wandale Robinson and Maurice Washington to touch the football 
and to touch the football a lot. They want the ball in those guys' hands. And, and clear, I mean, you can clearly see why every time Wando has the ball in his hands, There's, the first dude just has no shot at tackling him. But with him and Maurice, and JD is kind of like this too, when they all when those three guys get the ball, there's a different feeling. Yes. Just in the stadium, just on the field. Like, it's different when yes. those guys get the ball. So yeah. there is a very real, it feels like mandate right now to get them the football. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they also want the ball spread around. They want the ball distributed a little bit more. In the backfield, you have Diedrich Mills that you want to get going, and Ryan Held keeps talking about how he wants to try to get Ramir Johnson into a game. So those are two other guys in in the backfield, and you're talking about giving Maurice 18, 19, 20 carries a game, which is what I think he should be at, and you're talking about Wanda Robinson playing more in the backfield. So that's a, that's a issue already with a lot of mouths to feed. That you're also talking about getting more wide receivers involved, mm-hmm. and that was a that was uh, a topic of conversation from Troy Walters this week. And Frost said the same thing a day after Walters spoke that they want to get more receivers into the game earlier, so that they can have more receivers comfortable in the game later, um, so that they can have you know more guys making an impact. And and that's you know Conavai Noah, that's Mike Williams, um, Javon McQuitty, Jaron Woodyard. Whenever they get Cade Warner back, they want him involved. It sounds like. Um, so, you know, you have all of those guys. And then on top of that, you have Jack Stoll, who needs to touch the ball more. He does. They're, they, I, it feels like they're just kind of in a place where there's like, there's a, an overabundance of options that it's almost like paralysis a little bit because there's like, okay, well, how do we get, how do we make all these pieces fit together? I totally agree with that. But I also, I don't want them... I don't like, let's say it this way, I don't like the, I think we need to get more guys involved line that started to evolve this year. And I'll explain, or explain this, all this week and I'll explain why. I think those guys that we started off talking about, um, Maurice Washington, Wandale Robinson, J.D. Spielman, I think that those guys who are your A-level players, I think that those guys, and then Adrian Martinez to a degree. Jack still in that conversation. Please show I'll respect. get there. I will get there with okay. Jack. Um, those guys are your A-level players. I've seen them all do it enough now even Wandale to know that I, I feel like I'm getting good production from them they need to be the focal points of this offense everyone else including Jack Stoll who I would count as like a B B plus level player right now um, they need to eat off of those guys the pro and it should to me work that way if you're utilizing all three of those guys and spreading the ball between them and you're messing up the defense and defense doesn't know what's coming, those other guys should have better opportunities. Like, in theory, like, just putting it out there, like, Jack Stoll should have a good matchup because those other guys on the field are helping to create those matchups. And, oh, by the way, you have to worry about Adrian Martinez's legs. Like, Conobai Noah should have good matchups because he's a crafty route runner and he's a really experienced player. Um, he, they, you cannot, you can only devote so much attention to him uh, from your defense because you have to worry about all those other guys, right? Like, and so that's where, to me, that's the adjustment that needs to be made is we need to focus on those top-level guys so that we can then create other opportunities for the other players out there. I don't think we need to go out there, you know, forcing the ball on swing passes to kind of I Noah just to say we got him touches. Like, I, I think that his his options and opportunities need to come off of those other guys. And I think that makes the offense work better because then you're more unpredictable um, and you can create other big plays. I agree 100%. You know how you get those guys, like, those three guys, Wandale, J.D., and uh, Maurice? 
to be all involved at the same time. <laughs> how, how would you do that, Derek? You know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're Death talking about. Death line up, baby. <laughs> Death line up. Roll with it more. Yeah. And Jack Stoll's on the field. And then your third receiver in Conor Vino is on the yeah. field. And if you're rolling with the death lineup and you're getting the other three guys all the touches that they need, then things start to open up more for Conor Vino. Things just don't seem – it just doesn't – and I don't know if you have the same sense or if if people listening do. It just doesn't feel like anything is opened up. Like it doesn't feel like – It feels very bottled up. Yeah, it feels like any any targets, like even the very few targets that Conor Vino has gotten, it feels like it's really tight, tough coverage. You know, when McQuitty got that one catch, there was a guy right on him. Like it just feels like – and no one is – the offense that we – thought that Nebraska was getting coming from Central Florida uh, and you can picture it from watching their film like guys just running free um, and Mackenzie Milton then finding that guy I'm picturing Jordan Aikens their tight end running up the seam um, wide open or like making just one guy miss and going like you just don't see that right now so how much of this has to do with Adrian and his inability I should say through the first two games to um, read coverage correctly and maybe a little bit of of uh, unwillingness to throw the ball to some of the the lower level guys like your your tier below JD and, yeah. and Wandale. Yeah, your guys that aren't a focus but can still hurt you. Um, though I think that a lot of it does have to do with that because I think that's something. One of the things that we like in the Adrian is not seeing the field well kind of thing that's kind of really come up, and I do think that some of that is true. Something is messing him up when it comes to like zone coverage. Like, I, I don't know if, and I would have to ask Verdusco this, like, maybe, maybe this would have been a good question for him this week now that I think about it. Like, is he having problems to Verdusco's eye of reading zone coverage versus when teams are in man? Because it feels like he is having more difficulties with zone this year than even last year, which is weird considering he should be better as a sophomore um, and maybe teams are just doing more things because they're having to try and game plan for him knowing that. But after a while, you knew that last year too. Um, So I just, I feel like that's really messing him up. A lot of this, I think it just comes down to comfort. He doesn't look, Adrian doesn't look comfortable. And I think some of that has to do with, I don't want to say protection issues because they protected him really well in the first half of yeah, the Colorado game. Well, in fairness, he was afraid in that too when he was protected well. Yeah, and but some of it I think is he's a little jumpy when he doesn't need to be. Like I think he's like anticipating stuff breaking down. Do you? Do, do you think that, sorry, I didn't cut you off, but I just thought as you were saying that, do you think that that's part of that is something that Frost said, we're recording this, what, Thursday, Thursday? Yeah. <laughs> I get my days mixed up, and Frost spoke today and, and talked about, as a play caller, his, it, a little bit of an issue of trying to pick the perfect play. Is part of that, do you think, bleeding to Adrian, where maybe he's trying to make the perfect play? Yeah, I think a lot of this is just, they, like, they're all so ready for it to finally click and for it to finally break. Like, everybody is so ready. Like, everybody, like I said, this game, everybody looks at it like it's like, oh, this should be a 44-17 to Nebraska win or something like that. Everybody's so ready for the offense to look the way we expected the offense to look that they're trying to, like, they want, like, the 30-point touchdown. Yeah. Like, the 65-yarder to JD. Like, they want, like, they want to get it all back on one play. Like, he wants to just start it all in one play. He's like, this is the play that it's going to break. This is the play that it's going to break. There seems to be a little bit of, like, we need this play to jumpstart everything. And then it's not. 
and then that just adds more pressure on the next one, and then it just compounds and compounds. I don't think the offense has been bad. I think the offense was a lot better. Oh, yeah, I think they got better. Especially in the first half. The fourth quarter was iffy. Everybody says they played three good quarters of football. The third quarter wasn't one of them. The fourth quarter was iffy. They scored 14 points, but it was iffy. The first half, I mean, they they averaged 15 yards a play on second down in the first half. They don't get it done. And they're they're hovering around six or seven yards per play on first down. They're doing good work in early downs. Early on, when in the game. things are going well, <laughs> yeah, it's it's it just seems like you know when one thing is off or when one when they fall behind a little bit, there's just a lot of anxiety. And 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 part of that, I, I totally agree with you, but I think part of that too is is the things that you've expected to happen for them just haven't. So like being more consistent about getting ahead of the sticks right so that early down success that you were just talking about which then can lead to them being playing with tempo which then ends up in a touchdown right them getting up on teams say 14 to nothing and then being able to really put the hammer down like that hasn't happened so like when that stuff isn't happening like i think they are getting a little bit anxious and i think that it's just a lot of this comes down to like and to me, the two main culprits and the two most important people that need to just relax this week and, and let it hang loose, Scott Frost, Adrian Martinez. Like, I think both of them could really use the same exact thing, which is to just relax and do what you did to get to this point and to make everyone so excited about what you were doing. Because I feel like both of them are pressing. Just have a beer, get a little loose, <laughs> dial up some gadget plays. Have some, some fun. Work. Also, I think they're they've done a couple of gadget plays and they've gained like eight yards. So like, yeah, they're you like can't di- be he's doing like, like I was it was there a reverse? Yeah, it was a double reverse against Colorado, and they had the thing with Wando where they lined him up in the eye formation on the first play, and and it went for like five yards. Like man, when you when you when you scheme that up, you are not expecting five yards. No, you want more. So part of it, I think, well, not part of it. It's a very small percentage of the problem, but I think you know they're not having those <laughs> that, like pressure releases. Can I say though, real quick, that play where they motion, they shift, and then put Wandale as the eye back, and then do the the short toss to him. Like that play needs to stay around though, because at the point to where the offensive line mauls people, like that play will be really good. <laughs> like that play could be really really effective if the offensive line. Goes out there and knocks some people on their butts. Yeah. Fire out of their freaking stance, to quote Greg Austin. <laughs> <laughs> Great Greg Austin line this week. Uh, during the Colorado game, I think it was either late first quarter or early second quarter, I fired off a tweet that said, this defense is legit. I've seen enough. Believe in this defense. They're really freaking good. I think the defense is really freaking good. Mm-hmm. They run to the ball. And when you run to the ball, good things happen. Do you think does does the way that they played in the fourth quarter, uh, with like a minute left in the third quarter, Colorado hadn't crossed Nebraska's forty yard line. They had like a hundred and fifty some yards, hadn't crossed the forty, had no points. Does the fourth quarter of the Colorado game, uh, does it undo all the good that was done by Nebraska through the first? Seven quarters of this season on defense. If you listen to Twitter, 
Yes, it does. What I'm telling you is, no, absolutely not. Like, I think I totally agree with you. I think we were talking on Slack <laughs> when you tweeted that out about how good the defense was. I remember when that happened. Um, so, And so I totally agree with you. I think that this defense is very good. And I think that not only are they good, I think that they have a chip on their shoulder. Like, and I, I don't think that that's gone away. And Mulberry um, was sick. Their best <laughs> player was sick. Yes. That and he had his worst too. game. Um, also, I think that, listen, I don't, like... I don't want it to come off as excuse making for the defense, but I also think that we can't not say that the offense had an opportunity to put that game away and did not. Like, there's only so long, and we've seen this, and people, like, I feel like people keep confusing the whole, like, the defense eventually broke and they always break kind of a thing. I think people confuse that with, or just don't say the second part of that, which is a very important, which is if the other side of the ball had done their job, they wouldn't have had they wouldn't have broke yes like that doesn't happen if nebraska scores an additional 10 points in any of the however many drives they had where they went and didn't score points yeah so 24 points in the fourth quarter is not acceptable and eric Shannon will be the first person to tell you that correct and nebraska missed a lot of tackles in the fourth quarter and and i I understand that one drive that there was a one of those drives yeah really bad i understand being tired and fatigue plays a role in that but when you're tired great teams have to fall back on fundamentals and they have to be fundamentally sound and nebraska wasn't that and that's something that they got to work on but i think the defensive performance with this team is tied so much more to offensive performance than it is with say a team like wisconsin where they're just running the ball so much that the defense is only going to play 50 or so snaps in a game like this this defense is gonna play 70 75 snaps in a game but if the offense is going three and out or the offense is having four play drives where they're only taking a minute off the clock like the defense is gonna just be on the field so much and that has a a natural fatiguing effect Correct. And it, and it, the reason that you, it's funny because you can't, if, if you're running the style of football or playing the style of football that Nebraska does and your offense is not scoring points, you are going to lose a lot of games. Like, and that, and that sounds really like, duh, but like you can't because your defense will never be able to hold up if your offense continues to go three and out like that in this, with this style of play. Like, you're just like, I don't care how much depth you have or accumulate on defense. Like, they're eventually going to wear down if the offense continues to have one one minute drives and then come off the field like it that's a really really tough spot for any defense around the country pick anyone they'll eventually wilt under that and so the offense needs to do their part and the defense just needs to continue to progress from where they've been they got better from south alabama to colorado i'm very curious to see what they do this week against northern illinois because i think that there's a chance that they come out and continue the type of run defense that they played in the first two games where it's what two point two yards per carry um i think that they can be in that range if not better again and if they do that they'll be in the football game um just need the offense to get it going but i have to go back to your original premise yes the defense is good um and i think that people are starting to maybe come around to that um you just maybe i know that people would be are yelling at at whatever device they're listening to on this saying but they have to finish it four quarters yes they have to do that um but this defense is good they're at 2.1 yards per carry as a run defense which is really 
be is pretty good. It's yeah. not as good as Michigan State's minus 0.12 yards <laughs> per carry. It seems like They're a misprint. Two they, games. Pl- they played two games, right? Yes. Like they didn't okay. <laughs> they've faced 52 runs and they've given up negative 6 yards. That's really good. It's really good. Where does that rank for Nebraska with that 2 point so in in conference they're fifth and um, nationally they're twelfth. Nebraska's no. run defense is twelfth in the country. And and if they stay they stay in that range. Now I don't know if they're gonna be a top fifteen run defense throughout the course of the season, but twelfth is obviously a big jump from where they were. If they're top 30 by the time we end the season, like they're going to land in a really good spot. They should, record-wise, provided the offense gets out of their funk. Okay, Greg, what do you think needs to happen this week? And what do you think will happen? Like with the score? Yeah. Just <laughs> in the game in general. Um. Well, it would be really easy to say they need to get win in a blowout. Um, but to do that, they Nebraska needs to be able to impose their will running the football. Like I, I think that Nebraska, like it, it would be really nice. Like for all the talk about getting more wide receivers involved, the pass catchers involved, uh, tight ends. Like I, I feel like if Nebraska can come out and move Northern Illinois around on the offensive line and open up lots of running lanes uh, for everybody to run through, I think that that would be a great sign for them. Uh, moving forward um and i think that if they can do that i think they win the game um it, it's it's tough for nebraska to continue playing the way that they have in the interior of that line even though greg austin said that when they ran inside zone or ran inside they averaged almost five yards a carry or around five yards a carry they're um, not even averaging five yards a carry on the season like i don't know i still don't get that like and i really don't we try to run the numbers i don't statistically get better <laughs> Like they were much better on, on the edge. Salty Greg Austin. Um, he week. was very angry this week. Um, so way hey, fine. He should be. His unit is underperforming. Um, so I, I think that Nebraska needs that blowout win. I don't think they get it. Um, I think I'm trying to look over to see what was my my official prediction that we just had to put in uh, was Huskers 27, Northern Illinois 13. I don't think the offense quite gets 100% back on track, but you see them taking steps in the right direction. And I think the defense continues to be as salty as they have been to start the season, um, save for the one bad quarter against Colorado. I'm looking through. Northern Illinois hasn't lost by 30 in a game. Since 2016, September 10th, they lost 48-17 to South Florida. But outside of that, this is a team that just doesn't really get blown out a ton. And Nebraska isn't a team that blows teams out. No. And before that, they lost to Boise in, in 2015. But this is a team that over the last couple of years just hasn't really gotten blown out by teams. Like, they're... They're good enough to hang around with some people, and we saw that last week against against Utah. Yep. It was a four point game at halftime. Um, I've got it twenty seven seventeen Nebraska, which Ooh, is probably it, would that make people yeah, it'd make people okay. more anxious. I think it would make people more. I think it's gonna make uh, it's gonna get real interesting around here because I don't, I don't think the offensive. Uh, opening up is going to happen this week man which is going to make things real interesting when we get to illinois yes 
But if the defense does what we both think they're going to do, I think Nebraska start hanging their hats on that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that you can start to, if they do it again this week, I I think we can start to say, which will be very strange. I'm just putting it out there now, but we can start to say Nebraska's defense is keeping them in games. Yeah. Yeah. And we just need the offense to take a step. Well, at that point, it will be Nebraska's defense is winning them games. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, then and the narrative will flip, too, because it'll also be, oh, then if Nebraska puts together another good defensive performance, it'll also be, oh, man, the offense didn't help them out in Colorado. More people will be saying that. Watch. <laughs> and then it'll be, oh, yeah, they could have done just fine in Colorado. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just – the dynamic between the offense and the defense right now and how things have gone to start this season, like, even though I think we both predicted that the defense would be better, like, I just didn't – I didn't know – I didn't know that it would – be like this and so i think we need one more game to really kind of see from both and really find out who they are yeah i mean i could be wrong i've been wrong about the first two games i've been wrong about a lot of things i predicted that deontay williams is gonna have a breakout and he's now done for the year yeah, oh, sorry not year foreseeable future foreseeable is what future. frost said I feel bad for that kid yeah i do too I, think, I do think he was about to break out yeah I also said that there was wasn't really a difference between Scott Frost and Lincoln Riley in terms of play calling, and now that looks like a uh, just freezing cold take. But you know what? Okay, I'm not totally derailed. We don't have a lot of time. But have you have you had a chance to watch OU this season? Yeah, Lincoln Riley. They need to name the Heisman after him. Okay, so what I'm but but what I'm getting to is, is, do you think that it feels like their offense runs? in sequence and in rhythm and they're building and they're building and then boom they hit you and then and let's do it again we build, we build whereas nebraska has never this season found that rhythm and most of the time last year didn't have it like it just is a, it looks and feels totally different and whereas they're kind of supposed to feel the same like my it's a question different styles, my question like, is why because oh, my like my question for you on this would be why because OU's replacing four starters on the offensive line. That's the thing. I watch OU play, and I see them replacing those four starters. I see them working in their highly touted young freshmen, right? Like, I I see them having the ability to do that, and Nebraska can't do either. They can't replace those guys that they lost on the offensive line. They can't figure out a way to get their young players involved or to get multiple guys involved. OU has had no problem doing that. And, yes, we're using – like an extreme example in a way because OU has been so good offensively. But like you said, like we expected Nebraska to be a lot closer to them. Yeah, I mean, this is my point. I don't to, think I don't know, pick a random <laughs> team. I don't think there's anything preventing Scott Frost from having the same kind of offense here at Nebraska that Lincoln Riley has at Oklahoma. I think there's absolutely nothing preventing that from happening. I think he is equally as smart and talented an offensive coach as Lincoln Riley is. It just looks like a very cold take right now. It does. Because Hopefully they... The, I just, for your sake, I hope they get that cold take with some hot water. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, one of my other predictions was that they were going to beat Ohio State, so we'll... They're just... Listen, man, it's we'll not see. how you start the race, it's how you finish it. It's true. It's true. What other cliches can I throw in there? we got to play fast. It's true. Greg, thanks for giving some time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Next up is Caleb Carter, joining us all the way from DeKalb, Illinois. He covers the Northern Illinois Huskies for the Daily Chronicle in DeKalb. Caleb, thanks for joining the podcast, man. Yeah, no problem. Um, 
appreciate it. I've been doing the rounds on uh, local radio and student uh, radio station and, and uh, some other podcasts, so I can tell uh, Nebraska fans are pretty amped up for this one. Yeah, that you, you said that you have done a bunch this week. Who have you talked to? Oh, gosh. Um, so I talked to one of the student um, radio, uh, a student podcast. I don't even know if they ever actually gave me the name. Um, I talked to 93.7 as well uh, for with the folks on the recruiting hour. Um, I talked to, goodness, um, I did a Husker fan podcast way back in May. Um, and that, so that they have been kind of promoting that too. And then um, I know I did another one and it's just, keeping me at the moment and it's kind of running together with the multiple uh, podcasts I did with Utah um, fans as well. So uh, the early non-conference schedule, there's been a lot of interest in um, what NAU brings to the table as an opponent. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, I mean, with, uh, with Nebraska fans, it's more of an obvious about uh, what's, what's similar about this team, about the, the group that came into Lincoln a couple of years ago and grabbed that win. And um, for Utah, um, it was another opponent that, um, had uh, played NIU actually last year, came to DeKalb. Uh, they did a home-and-home home with uh, NIU, and it kind of worked out favorably, I guess, how most schools probably – or how both schools would have wanted it. NIU played them close last year. Uh, it was 17-6. Um, last week, NIU was at uh, 21-17 at the half again at, at Utah. Uh, gave them a good run for their money. Um, Utah, being the talented defensive group they did, kind of pulled away in the second half and limited NIU. But um, – it's a it's a group that has a lot of respect um, from Power Five schools, and they tend to get a lot more respect after those schools have seen them play. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a group that you know Nebraska's the the guys that were on the team in 2017, specifically Mo Berry. Um, this this past week, have talked about how they didn't respect Northern Illinois the way Northern Illinois deserved to be respected um, two years ago. They said mm-hmm. practice was a little bit. A little loose heading up to that game, and obviously, you know, everybody here remembers what happened. Northern Illinois came in and beat Nebraska at Memorial Stadium. The athletic director was fired a week later. Um, that was a big. That was a big moment. Um, a kind of a turning point in the tenure of Nebraska's last head coach. I, I don't know how. I guess this could be a question for you as well. How big of a moment that was for Northern Illinois getting that win. Um, my main question mm-hmm. for you is. You know, with the week leading up to this game, Nebraska hasn't looked the way anybody expected Nebraska to look. What What is Northern Illinois' mindset heading into this? Is there a lot of, like, you know, using 2017 um, to, to sort of prepare for this game? Or, or are they kind of looking at that, like, you know, because it was a different coaching staff, because it was a different quarterback and a different um, era, really, for Nebraska? Like, has there been a ton of talk about that game? Um, so the talk from that game kind of comes more from uh, the upperclassmen who can relate to the atmosphere. Um, you don't, NIU's never really been a program that gets nervous about going into a bigger environment or playing a Power 5 school because they openly embrace it. Um, they've scheduled Michigan and Kentucky and, uh, and Notre Dame for the next couple of years as well, um, all games at those places. And so those uh for really, the, there's there's a little bit more interest in like what the atmosphere is going to be like because uh, talking to defensive tackle Western Kramer this week, he was basically just like he did not hide his like his awe of what it was like um, playing in Lincoln two years ago. He's just basically like, like I wish we played Big Ten teams every year. It was the coolest thing ever. Like walking out of the tunnel, um, it was a little bit foggy the morning in 2017 when we beat them, and like and it was like the coolest thing to just look straight up and see thousands and thousands of people. And a lot of these guys talk about that game like this. They aren't, 
They don't talk about it about being worried about the atmosphere and not being able to handle it. They talk about it from a point of excitement. And obviously part of that's, you know, coming away with a win last time. Um, and then Thomas Hammock, who wasn't the coach uh, previously, uh, he is in his first year. He's, a, he's an alumnus. He, uh, if his name sounds remotely familiar, it's because he was actually a very good running back for NIU in the, uh, from about 99 to 2002. And um, he ended up being the running backs coach for a guy named Garrett Wolf, who was an All-American running back at NIU in the early to mid-2000s. Um, he was basically talking about saying, like, you know, I have experience coaching at Nebraska in a night game. He was with uh, Wisconsin as a running backs coach and offensive coordinator um, back in 2012 when uh, when uh, Bielema was the coach. And uh, he basically um, like was like, I know what the atmosphere is like. I'm going to get these guys prepared. They're not so much worried about the execution of the game plan so much as uh, – Maybe that's not fair to say, but more just they, they spoke a lot about the atmosphere and what they expect and how they're going to be prepared for that. Yeah, I think the atmosphere will be cool. Um, I know you know Nebraska fans are probably a little disappointed with what happened last week, but I, I expect the atmosphere around kickoff to be um, pretty special, pretty energized. Um, I, I want to I ask you about Northern Illinois' offense. There's some newcomers. They have a grad transfer quarterback. Uh, 24 points against Illinois State the first week, 17, like you said. Um, last week against Utah, they didn't score in the second half. What... What what have you seen from that offensive unit? Um, have they, you know, what were your expectations heading into the season, and, and you know, how how have they fared um, compared to those through through two games? Um, I think for a lot of folks, there was just so many dang questions abounding and about what the new offense was going to look like. That was the primary interest, and then uh, would the transfer quarterback be the guy? Considering that NIU has had a quarterback for two years now, um, and Marcus Childers, who's been the starter. Uh, Childers took over a few games after the Nebraska game in 2017. The the guy who was the quarterback for NIU actually ended up transferring out after that season because he wasn't the starter by the end of the year. Um, but so many questions remain about what they could do through the air because uh, NIU was near dead last in the country last year in yards per um, completion and yards per attempt passing through the air. Uh, Bowers had thrown for 3,000 yards two years ago at Cal. Um, he's played Pac-12 football, I think the expectation was. They're bringing him in here for a reason. He's not coming here to sit the bench. Uh, so he won the job outright. And there's really, since uh, since the first game, there's been no doubt that he's the guy that they're going to rely on. And there's not really a, uh, a battle there anymore. Um, and as far as that goes, like the ex- offensive execution isn't quite what I think people expected. It's not what I expected. Uh, they really went heavy on the pass uh, each of the first two weeks. Um and then they, instead of uh, splitting the carries as much in the backfield, Trey Harbison is uh, the main feature back. But last week, for example, um, had six, coded six carries. They really tried to stay away from the heart of that Utah defense um, and really tried to use their speedier backs on the outside. Uh, Jordan Nettles, who was really kind of the third string back, had um, 10 carries last week. Uh, I don't think you'll see that this week. I do think you'll see more of Harbison up the middle. Um, and you are going to see NIU try to throw the ball down the field just like they did against Utah. It's something they had success in. Um, they use the tight ends a lot. Mitchell Brinkman and Daniel Crawford are two names you're probably going to hear. Uh, and then as far as wide receivers go, Spencer Tears is considered the number one receiver. Um, he pulled out, He ripped off a, a 74-yard touchdown reception in the Utah game. Um, Tyrese Ritchie's shown big playmaking ability, and that's, that's what the NIU offense didn't have last year. So the uncertainty there was, do they have the ability to pull off big plays? And they do, but they actually haven't proven that they can run the ball yet. And what we know from uh, what I know from watching Nebraska film is they've been good against the run, even if the defense isn't what they've wanted it to be yet. So uh, 
NIU is probably looking this week to prove to themselves that they can balance run in the pass. Otherwise, um, if they're moving the ball with consistency, and it has to be either run or pass, they're probably going to throw the ball better than run the ball against this Nebraska defense. Is that uh, that was about to be my next question? Listening to coaches talk, looking at Nebraska, like, do you expect them to try to test Nebraska up front on the ground, or do you try to do you expect them to try to test a, a secondary that, that got a little beat up in the back half of the last game? I think they absolutely are going to test uh, Nebraska through the air. Um, I do think that the numbers, as far as like balance, are going to more closely reflect what they want to do on the ground. I don't envision them uh, going for, I mean, to give you the best example, Trey Harbison is the feature back. He's the guy who came into the season as a possible all-Mac caliber running back, and he had one carry in the first half. They were very much of the mindset that, like, we don't want to run into the heart of this Utah defense. Um, I don't think they can really afford to do that, even if they have just as much respect for uh, the Nebraska defensive line. I think they kind of need to see what they're able to do between the tackles. Um, so I think you absolutely should see, um, expect to see NIU going deep, uh, really testing that secondary, as you mentioned. But, I mean, it shouldn't be to the extent that if you look back at the Utah film like that, you shouldn't expect uh, the feature back to only have a handful of carries in the game. I want to switch gears and talk about the Northern Illinois defense. On paper, they look like a pretty... They look like a pretty decent unit on paper. Um, starting with the the run defense, you know they're at three point seven yards per carry um, being yielded, but they just gave up one hundred ninety three to Utah. So, having watched that game, what what led to Utah having rushing success on the ground? And the second part of this is Nebraska through the first two weeks. I mean, this was a really really good running team last season um, with a different running back, and this is a team that through mm-hmm. the first two weeks has kind of struggled to find its bearing a little bit on the ground. They're at three yards of carry on the ground, which isn't – it's not great. It's not what these this coaching staff <laughs> expected. It's not what fans expected. So, you know, Northern Illinois' run defense was stout in the first week. Um, obviously the opponent was who the opponent was. And then last week against Utah they gave up, you know, almost 200 yards. So – um, is that a is that an area of concern for you, or do you feel like Northern Illinois can kind of keep with the trend of what Nebraska's first two opponents have done, and, and sort of be able to kind of cause some problems up the middle trying to run the ball? I think uh, NIU really has to rely on its ability to uh, shut down the running game. Um, they, I mean, they do have an experienced secondary. Uh, they have uh, safeties. Uh, they have seniors at the safety spots. Uh, the starting safety is actually going to miss his first start in a while because of the targeting call during the Utah game. Um, and that's, his name's McKelty Williams, but they have some depth at the, sec- at the safety spots. Uh, they're actually really inexperienced at the quarterback spots. And I would expect Nebraska to try to test them there, but yeah, NIU really has to really predicate themselves on making, I, I think making Nebraska one dimensional because if uh Nebraska is able to establish the run. That's going to be really problematic for NIU just because of uh, the youth um, at the cornerback position going into a big environment like that and knowing that how much Adrian Martinez tends to gobble up yards. Uh, I could see that giving NIU problems if they are basically – if they can't make uh, Nebraska predictable, is basically my way of thinking about it, is if uh, Nebraska is going to be in second and two and third and one very consistently uh, because they're picking up huge gashes on the ground then it really limits what NIU is able to dial up with the blitzes. And uh, they do like to throw a lot of blitz looks under new uh, defensive coordinator, Derek Jackson. He was the cornerbacks coach at Purdue last year. So those, some of those defenses might remind you of what Purdue's done in the past. Um, but yeah, they, they've got two very good linebackers, Antonio Jones Davis and Kyle Pugh, um, both all Mac 
all Mac, probably first team type guys. Um, uh, Antonio Jones Davis is actually the cousin of Alex Davis over there at, at linebackers. So hey, that's a, a little a little storyline to look forward to. I'll probably have something written about that if Nebraska people are thinking of stealing my bit. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's mine. Uh, that's mine now. Um, but yeah, they've got some very talented guys up the middle. Uh, what most people will probably be paying attention to is that Josh Corcoran and uh, Sutton Smith are the two defenders they lost to NFL caliber uh, talents on the defensive side of the football. And uh, everybody else is back on the defensive side. All the starters are back otherwise. this, this The pass defense, the back end of the defense, it, to me just looking at it, it seems kind of feast or famine. Um, top mm-hmm. top 25 unit in terms of completion percentage against. So they're, they're pretty good about keeping quarterbacks inefficient. But 101st in, in yards per pass attempt. They've only got one sack on the season, but they've got 14 tackles for loss, and they've only got two turnovers through two games. So mm-hmm. is that an accurate assessment that this is, you know, kind of a, a boom or bust pass defense? I, to an extent, I think you're right in that respect. Yeah. Um, the last year they were also toward the bottom of the nation in terms of uh, interceptions. Um, they didn't create a lot of huge plays in the secondary. There are guys in the secondary who can play a lot around the line of scrimmage, like Trayshawn Foster at safety. Uh, Marche Terry is a graduate transfer from UConn who's been kind of used as like a, a safety who can play around the line of scrimmage or blitz um, up the middle even, weirdly enough, because he's huge for safety. Um, and, yeah, like the young cornerbacks do make it a feast or famine type deal where uh, they had a starter who they felt really good about and a true freshman in Mark Aitken. And then last game he just didn't play um, because they didn't. I don't think they trusted him to, uh, you know, keep a uh, keep super disciplined in his technique against the Utah's very athletic wide receivers. And uh, imagining him against somebody like J.D. Spielman would be, I would imagine, cause a lot of anxiety for uh, the defensive coaches over at NIU. So um, they aren't the type that's going to create a lot of uh, create a lot of disruption. Um, and so far, uh, what I was mentioning earlier, like being able to throw a bunch of different blitz looks and unconventional looks is what has enabled them to get more pressure more so than just traditional, you know, bull rush, uh, stunting, whatever, um, from their defensive end who are solid, but not huge, like, uh, hugely talented, uh, pass rushers. For they're, example. Not, they're not Sutton Smith. No, they're not. And, right. uh, there are very few who are, uh, yeah. I think, uh, just this, uh, a few weeks ago, Sutton Smith was named to the, um, uh, college football hall of fame, like all decade team. And, uh, NAU has not had anybody of that caliber ever. So. I made the comment in 2017 that he was one of the best defensive players Nebraska was going to see all season, and people said I was crazy. And then the game happened, and I was like, <laughs> he's pretty good, just because, I mean, he's pretty good. Um, what do you like, what, see? Yeah. See? Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm, most of the time, I'm wrong. Like, 90% of the time, I'm wrong. So the, 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 the very <laughs> few instances in which I actually get something right or make a prediction correct, I have to sort of toot my own horn about it. Um, Absolutely. You really got to tout that. <laughs> On the topic of predictions, um, we'll get to a score in a, in a second. But what are what are keys to the game for you? Um, I I think I've become kind of predictable in what I think that uh, NIU has to do on the offensive side of the ball. Um, the number one thing this week is balance. Uh, if they are not, you know, picking up some yards on first down, whether it's you know on short checkdown passes or uh, uh, runs up the gut or even off tackle, uh, I don't think they're really going to be in a position to have success. Um, if, if they're going to throw the ball over the top and expose Nebraska, they need to be able to pick up some yards on first down. Um, I think uh, there has to be turnovers created. I know that was a big part of uh, going into Nebraska and the Huskies beating them a couple of years ago um, was creating turnovers. 
It's not something this unit has done yet. They have to prove that they can create turnovers in order to win in this environment. Um, I don't envision a scenario where NIU doesn't create at least two turnovers and finds a way to win. Um, and then, uh, you know, the guys just have to make big plays. And I mean, as simple as it is and as easy it is to say, you can't have a scenario where, you know, NIU has a, an open receiver 40 yards down the field and they drop a ball, like throw in their bread basket. If they miss those, they're, they're not going to find a way to score enough points to uh, match up with Nebraska. I think the the spread for this game is around two touchdowns. I think it's around 14 points is where it's hovered, I think. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't quote me on that. I don't see Nebraska mm-hmm. hitting that. Um, personally, I think this will be a closer game. Um, my uh, co-workers asked for a prediction like literally mm-hmm. 20 minutes before we started recording this podcast, and I told them 27-17. Um, what do you, what do you see? What's your, what's your score prediction for this game? So my, uh, my official score prediction I actually am going with in uh, my preview article is 28, 21 Nebraska. Um, though it wouldn't surprise me if it's in that, uh, 10 to 12 point range, but I do think NIU covers. Yeah, I I think they can keep it close. I'm right there with you. I think NIU is a, a talented football team that deserves respect. And, you know, obviously what they did to Utah last week deserves some, you know, I think. Scott Frost made the comment that he like flipped it on at halftime and saw what the score was and was like, Oh, okay. I was not expecting this. And, you know, not that he's, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to disrespect the other team, but I, you know, I think there's a team that, um, you know, your casual fan is going to say, Oh, it's Northern Illinois. It's a Mac team. Nebraska needs to win by like 40, but that's just, I don't, I just don't see, I don't see that being the case. So. No, that would, uh, seeing that type of difference would mean a complete implosion on NIU's part. And, uh, NIU has not had that type of game in a long time. Yeah, I guess if I'm wrong, you're in this boat with me. <laughs> we'll be struggling together, man. We'll be, we'll be riding the struggle bus together. Caleb, thank you for, for joining the podcast. Um, everybody can find and follow you on Twitter. It's Caleb underscore M underscore Carter. Caleb with a, is with a K. Yes, sir. And uh, if, you need, if you're looking for any more NIU coverage, um, it's sports at Daily Chronicle. Um, you can look... Uh, at HuskyWire, H-U-S-K-I-E-W-I-R-E on Twitter. Sounds perfect. I'll link to a couple of uh, I'll link to a couple of those on our on our site and in the description for this podcast. Caleb, thank you so much for giving us some time, man. I know you got work to do, so I'll let you get back to it. Heck yeah, man! Thanks for having me. We will be back next week with another podcast. Make sure in the meantime you keep reading HillVarsity.com. We will have uh, all of the coverage basically throughout the weekend on football. It's a home game. It's a 7 p.m. kick. We'll have a lot of stuff from that. Um, Greg Smith will be out at Omaha Scut uh, Friday night for a high school game. He'll have a recap on that. Jacob Padilla will have volleyball coverage. John Cook's group um, is taking on three teams this weekend. They play three matches between Friday and Saturday. Uh, Baseball met for the first time under Will Bolton. Mike Babcock has a a wonderful piece on, on... Will Bolt's first day at the office on HailVarsity.com. And and we'll be back next week with another podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, As always, subscribe and follow us on Spotify and, and Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. And we'll be back next week. Thanks, guys.